Welcome to the New Abbey podcast. Today's conversation is called State of the Union. Our question for you to start with is, what was the most meaningful moment in Easter for you last week? Enjoy. So we're post-Easter, and we're still in the Gospel of Luke, and we may be here, I don't know, a couple more years. We'll get where we're going to get when we get there, kind of that way. Uh, which is really funny, because Brittany can never seem to get to my house. And so one day I'm like, it's, you've been to my house a thousand times. It's just like, I know where I'm going most of the time, and sometimes I get there, but not always. I was like, that's true? There's, she stands by so we're going to do that with the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to get somewhere at some point, sometime, but we're not sure when. If you were to look at the beginning part of Jesus's ministry in the Gospel of Luke, I would call that like the inaugural address, that the inaugural address for Jesus about good news is simply this reality that every single human being is a son or daughter of the divine and that the divine speaks over you. You are my beloved and with you I am well pleased. And I apologize on the behalf of all pastors, priests, preachers, whoever it may have been, probably men, who have told you anything else, who have told you anything less, maybe as a story that Brian shared, that somehow you are less than, you are not enough, you need to do more of these things, that the love and the grace of God is somehow earned by what you can or cannot do, or maybe how you were born or how you weren't born, and that is not true. And thus, Jesus' inaugural, inaugural dress, before he even gets started, is that reality of good news. And then Jesus lives that out a little bit in the Gospel of Luke, right? He calls some disciples into this life with him. I try not to use the word ministry so much because then we somehow subdivide what Jesus is doing into this like other thing instead of what the Gospels are trying to show us is how everybody can do the human journey. Now that sounds a little bit better. And so Jesus invites us into this human journey, invites other people along with it, gives this inaugural address that everybody is loved and pleasing to God. And then as Jesus' ministry moves forward, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, there's this kind of call to action. But Jesus doesn't do a call to action, but like, here's the list of things, now go do it on your own. Jesus' call to action, how Luke puts it, is this, this road to maturity. There's literally a road that you'll see in the Gospel of Luke. He'll just keep saying, like, and Jesus got on the road, and then Jesus got on the road, and then Jesus got on the road to Jerusalem. We'll keep pointing that out, because there's this process and this movement that the Gospel of Luke is taking us on that says, we don't have all of life figured out. Isn't that amazing? Right? No one gave you a playbook for your life. No one gave you a playbook for the relationships that you have. No one told you how to raise your kids. You figure that stuff out in real time. 
And the Gospel of Luke is aware of that and invites you into that process of maturation and transformation. So if we had the inaugural address that we were spending time in for the first four months of the year, now we are to the Sermon on the Plain. And we'll talk a little bit about how that's different than the Sermon on the Mount. And we are to Jesus' State of the Union address. So if we're going to talk about that, here's the other things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about State of the Union. Then we're going to ask some questions like who's who, how we see, how not to see, how to see others, and then how to see ourselves. Because what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus is not trying to tell you what to think. Jesus is trying to show you a new way of how to think. And most of us grew up in churches where we had Bible answer men and Bible answer women who were telling us what to think. And that's just not fascinating to God. Why? Because there's 7.5 billion of us on planet Earth and each of our stories are unique and different. And so what to think for all of us should not be the same. And that's why this diamond of the human experience is so beautiful and has so many facets. But how to think gives us a much broader perspective of actually how to engage life. Uh, here's a little Wikipedia for you, State of the Union. This is what it means. Wikipedia is, I think, accepted by all professors. We have some professors in the room. Is this true? It's good? We got a no and a yes, so whatever. 50-50, kids, do what you want to do if you're in class. Your pastor said do it. If they don't trust you, have them write me a note. The State of the Union. Address is an annual message presented by the President of the United States to a joint session of the United States Congress, except in the first year of a new president's term, right? That's like the inaugural address. The president is trying to like get some stuff off the ground and say, this is what I'm about. But the country has to see, people have to see, now how does this stuff actually working out in real time? And then this leader comes back to give a State of the Union address. Right? And then the message includes a budget message, an economic report of the nation, and also allows the president to outline their legislative agenda for which the cooperation of Congress is needed. I'm going to send this to our Congress members so they can read the definition themselves. Cooperation, or maybe in the terms of some presidencies, I won't name which one, lack of cooperation, and national priorities. What I love about this is we're not talking about the United States of America here. We're talking about what all leaders do. All good leaders show you first. They live it out, they live this thing, they breathe this thing, and then they invite you into it and they ask for cooperation. The story that we often tell about Jesus is your cooperation is not needed. Jesus, the God-man, came down and did everything. Now just sit back, relax, and wait for the rapture to happen. I don't know, something like that. It's a really bad story. And we talk about that in here all the time. Instead of it being this life that Jesus invites you into to follow along and to participate and to get your hands dirty, right? To get your feet somewhere, to allow your heart to ache because you too are going to have to like deal with the suffering and the groans of the world. This is what Jesus is showing us. And Jesus is also inviting us into the joy and the beauty and the reconciliation that humanity has to offer. So the State of the Union address is really this Sermon on the Plain this Beatitudes. Uh, it, it's in Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But there's a few discrepancies here between what Luke is doing and what Matthew is doing, and they're doing it for really good reasons. So follow along with me in Luke. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. If you're a good reader of the Bible, anytime somebody goes to a mountain, you pause and you think to yourself, big things happen on mountains. 
people sacrifice like children on mountains, like you get 10 commandments on mountains, God speaks to you on mountains, not just in the Bible, but in the entire ancient world. Why? Because they had a view of the world that there's like a dome above the earth and that's where the gods live. And so the closer you can get to those gods, the closer that you can hear God's voice. That's just how the ancient world thought. So that's not how you think, but when you hear mountainside, you know something big is about to happen. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So there's a shift here. Jesus clearly has some disciples who are gathering around him. And he's also, now he's designating that there's some differences between these apostles and these disciples. And we'll get into that more. Again, we're going to think about that more as the human journey and not about some dudes who lived a few thousand years ago. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. Here's the difference between Luke and Matthew. In Matthew, we have a gospel that's written primarily to a Jewish audience that's written a little bit before Luke, and they're asking questions of how can we be Jewish and still follow this Christ? Luke is a universal gospel. It is not interested in making you Jewish. It is in interested in including everybody. So Luke, more than any of the other gospels, will introduce women in very prominent roles. Who shows up to Jesus' tomb first? There we go, the ladies. That was my wife, I did not prep her for that, but thank you. I love you, that's all I gotta say. Made me, made me proud. Jesus crosses boundaries more in the Gospel of Luke than in any of the other Gospels. Uh, Jesus, how Jesus deals with the rich and the religious is very different in the Gospel of Luke, even in the other Gospels. One out of every seven teachings in Luke is Jesus challenging rich people, right? Americans hate this gospel, right? Uh, and then Jesus challenges religious people because who are the two people on planet earth who don't actually need God? The rich and the religious. I got all the money to deal with my own things or I already have God all figured out, right? And so Jesus challenges that in the gospel of Luke in a different way. So what's important about that is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stays up on a mountain and like a Jewish teacher, it says in Matthew, he'll sit down and he teaches these Jewish disciples. But in this gospel, Luke is telling a bigger, broader story of inclusivity. So Jesus comes down off of the mountain. That's huge. This is telling us a story about who God is. Jesus is coming down off of the Jewish mountain where Jewish people get revelations from God. And Jesus is coming to a level place so that all people can hear this message of inclusivity and that everybody, and by everybody, I mean everybody is the son and daughter of the divine and loved and enjoyable to this good God. All right there. This is free people, right? A large crowd of his disciples was there. And then here's what, why Luke is beautiful. And, very important and, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and the, from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, which what you need to know is where Gentiles live in the ancient world, Jews, Gentiles, this is what you have. He came down from the mountain to a level place, very telling, and every kind of person was there, not just the people who were following him and who got A's in school. And they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This is beautiful. Doesn't matter how broken you were. 
doesn't matter if like evil spirits were in you. You had a place on this level ground. You had a place with this great teacher that the divine comes to you. The divine never asks you to come to the divine. That's a different gospel. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor. Was this in Donald Trump's inaugural speech? I felt like these were, no? I was too soon, too fast. Too many Trump fans in the audience. That's apparently why he didn't laugh. I look out at you. I know who you are. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. God, that's so powerful. And it's shocking. And it's traumatic. And Jesus does that for a reason. Because where Jesus always starts is he brings the lowest of the low up. This God doesn't ask everyone to come to God. This God goes to where the lowest of the low are and says, let's do this thing together. That's beautiful. And then says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And when you know what heaven means, heaven doesn't mean like some like ancient place in the clouds where God is sitting on a throne and is apparently white and looks a lot like Zeus. Heaven is that space that's all around us. Jesus is not trying to get you to heaven. Jesus is trying to bring heaven here. That's not to say that Jesus isn't inviting you into an eternal life, but that eternal life is not like a waiting game to see if you did things right or not in this life. This eternal life, this heaven starts now. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. Should make you uncomfortable. If you have already received your comfort. Anyone Daniel Tosh fans in here? No? That's like old school. Like it feels like a little old. He hasn't been on for a while. But he always used to have like this like comedic line where he's like, people try to tell you that money doesn't make you happy. Have you ever been on a jet ski? Try not to smile on a jet ski. I don't know. I don't know why this passage makes me think of Daniel Tosh. It just does. Just wipe that smirk off your face on that jet ski. In scene. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Strong words by Jesus, and they're meant to challenge, they're meant to be traumatic, and they're meant to be a little sensational. Because what Jesus is trying to do is Jesus is trying to teach you how to think and not what to think. And so for any great leader, prophet, let alone the Christ, the Messiah, right, the Son of God, to teach you something, Jesus disrupts the consciousness that you're currently in. So he tells the rich, you must be brought low. He tells the poor, you must be brought high. I'm bringing worlds together, and that's how equality happens. It's not that some of you won't be rich. It's not that some of you won't be poor, but it's how you live into this real world when you are rich or poor, when you are sad or when you are happy, when you are laughing or when you are crying. How are you approaching the world? Not just what are you approaching the world with. Jesus is trying to reshape you because after you spend some time of Jesus disrupting the reality that you have, which a better word for kingdom probably in today's world is just reality. We don't live in kingdoms. We don't got a monarch. We don't think that way. So think reality. 
Think that Jesus is inviting you into this ultimate reality every time you hear the word kingdom. And in this ultimate reality, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're sad or happy, right? Wherever we're at on the spectrum, we have the ability in this reality to see ourselves for who we are as loved and enjoyable to God. And we have the ability to see other human beings for where they are. And then how does that reshape what you do with that money? What you do with your laughter? What you do with your sadness? What you do with your time and with your energy? How is incredibly important. It doesn't start with a laundry list of things that you can or cannot do. It starts with this invitation into walking with Jesus to disrupt the world as you know it. Sometimes I think to myself, if this was written today, what would Jesus say, right? Blessed are the transgender. Blessed are the DACA recipients. Blessed are the women because the future is female, right? Woe to the Harvey Weinsteins who have used their power to oppress and use. Woe to the Fortune 500 companies who make billions of dollars while children starve every day. That should disrupt us. And it should challenge us to live in another way. And so there's a few things that happens here. One is who's actually here? You have disciples. I want you to think about disciple in another way. If you're thinking about disciple because you've gone to church your whole life, again, you have this subdivided world of how the world looks. There's the rest of your life, and then there's the you in church. That sounds really boring, okay? Jesus is not here interested in how many Bible verses you learn, how often you are praying, and how many church services you attended. Church people are interested in that because there's a business to church. Jesus is interested in the kind of student and follower you are of Jesus. Because follower means you're moving, you're interacting, it's requiring something of your entire life. That what Jesus is doing is not trying to start a church. This is where we went all wrong. Church is important. Church should be a foretaste of this ultimate reality of God. And sometimes, unfortunately, church has not been a foretaste of this ultimate reality of God. Church has been a place who've told people that they are less than loved, that they are less than made in God's image. And so we have to reclaim that. But there's also this reality that this invitation is not just for a few people who say the words right. This invitation is for all of humanity to be followers of this way, to be followers of this truth, to be followers of this life and to live in a different way. And here's something fascinating about Jesus. Jesus is not looking to make converts. We are. Jesus is looking to make followers. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? Go out into the world and make disciples, make students, make followers of this way. And what Jesus will do in these Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Plain is he says, try it on. Try this way of life out where you live with a much broader perspective in reality of what it means to be human that doesn't leave anybody out. Try this reality on, Jesus will, Brittany will talk about this next week, where you love your enemies instead of kill them. Well, that's novel, right? Because we have a $700 billion defense budget and I like to be protected. That's just real, right? Try not to judge people. You mean, I don't get to think that I'm better than other people? Well, what am I gonna do with all that free time? You know? <laughs> And then Jesus says, when you try living that way, man, you're going to see some things bear fruit in your life. You're gonna, people are just going to approach you in a different way. When you do this disciple life, it's going to be fascinating for you. But when you walk into rooms and you walk out, people are going to say, that was more helpful than hurtful. 
People are going to say, I'm more better than I'm bitter, right? These are like the old school preacher lines. They're all here, but it's true. The world is a better place. You're like a good camper. You left it better than you found it when you're doing this life. So Jesus says, if you think there's a better way, Jesus is always willing to let people go try that thing. But I'm going to ask you to try this thing on for size. And when you do, tell me it's not the best way to live life. Not a church life. Uh, this is the God of the universe for all of humanity. You're all sons and daughters and loved and I enjoy you kind of life. My voice cracked there at the end. That's what Jesus invites us into. So the disciples were there, but there was also some wounded people there, which is incredibly important. So that, that Jesus is inviting wounded people to be disciples and Jesus is allowing disciples to be wounded. That in this process of what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Plain, he's saying, you're a student at all times. And so if you're not ready to like row the boat with us a little bit, this is what we say here in New Abbey all the time, like lay on the deck. Like seriously, just rest. If you've been hurt by the church or by people or by your family or by that job or by that thing that you still haven't told anybody, man, just lay there and trust that this way of Jesus is going to bring some healing to you. And trust that there's some other students of the game of life who are going to do their part and that we all got to do our part together. And then it's going to say, this thing is about progress, not perfection. That when you're a disciple, you might get wounded again sometimes. In fact, sometimes when you're doing the best discipleship work, when you're loving your enemies the most, sometimes when you get hurt the most. But man, is there any better way to live? Also there, there's some apostles. In the ancient world, apostle is just somebody who saw Jesus firsthand, who like literally saw this risen Christ. The scriptures invite all of us to be apostles. Not that you had some dream because you were smoking whatever, but because you encountered this Jesus somehow in your life, that you've tried on this way of life enough, that you've dealt with enough of your wounds, that you've been a follower of this thing, that you're going to go out and do it, is what apostle means is simply just the sent one. And how important is that that there's a little bit of a process to this? It's also a reminder that there's a path for us as disciples to share our sufferings with the world, and we got to go out there and do that, right? 12-step groups are phenomenal at this. The 12th step of every 12-step group is, now that you've had a spiritual awakening, now that you've had healing, you go find the person who's still suffering. That's the beautiful world. Brian Tarada is an apostle. He is a sent one out there telling people of his wounds one day when he couldn't even have imagined a life, when he could tell anyone in the world that he was gay. He went and tried this thing on, and even the people that hurt them, he loved them and didn't judge them. He didn't do the thing to them that they did to him. That's what we call the cross. When the whole world kills you, the violence stops there. That's this discipleship thing. And now he's got the biggest voice to probably evangelical gay Christians who have every right to never step foot in a church again. But there's a Brian out there who says, man, but I got this whole community of people who loves me and I'm not alone and you don't have to be alone either, right? And this game of learning is just ongoing forever and ever and ever. Wherever you find yourself in this journey, that's who was there. And so Jesus wants to change for you, wherever you find yourself in this, how are you seeing the world? Hopefully you're not subdividing it, so let's take that away. That's the most in, uninteresting way to see Jesus and to see life, which is where we have our church life and everything else. Because most people, if you're not like that oldest child, you do everything right and play by the rule book, you're going to leave the church. You're going to leave this way of life. And by the way, let me say this, let me make this very clear. 
This way of life is found for a lot of people outside the church. Who would have thought? That's just fine. That's a great thing. There's somebody riding like a horse somewhere right now who's like, I'm experiencing God. You know, like, yeah. That's great. Keep doing that. Um, but I believe that there's something really important about remembering together and living together and trying on this Jesus way of things together. Some of you, there's, there's just a distrust maybe that you have. There's a deficit that you start at when you come to the Jesus story. And I would say to you this, try it on. And I mean try it on because no matter who you are as a human being, if the Jesus narrative isn't that like meta narrative that is showing you how to think, how to live, how to be human, something else is. And there's a lot of other good things in the world. I'm just saying, does this path potentially offer transformation for you, particularly when this path includes all these other paths, right? We used to live in a world where you don't need psychology because you just have the spirit, my brother, right? And then we were like, no, that's dumb, right? <laughs> right? No, that's just dumb. Or people are like, B meditation, that's what the Buddhists do. No, you idiot. Christians have been doing that for thousands of years. Maybe not in Western evangelical Christianity, but in Eastern Christianity, that's a thing, right? So I was having a coffee with someone this week and, and they were talking about deconstruction. And he said to me, are you ever worried that you deconstruct too far? And I said, not yet. And here's why, because every time I get to a new place of deconstruction or to a new level of inclusivity, and I look in the tradition of the church, I find someone who's already been there before me, right? Like, I'm like, meditation? Oh, you mean they've been doing it? The Coptic Christians have been doing this for thousands of years, right? Or I'll get to like some area of like this like universalist Christ. I'm like, the Celtics have been doing that since like the fifth century? That no matter where I've gone in this Christianity thing, I've yet to run into any walls, right? And I'm still in Christian tradition. Psychology, pick your discipline. That's been my experience. I'm not going to force that upon you. I'm just saying, try it on for size. If you're gonna try it on, you're gonna to have to let go of some of your earlier precursors of what it means to be a disciple in church. And you're gonna to have to move towards a transformative stance of being this follower of Jesus as being the healthiest human being that you can possibly be. That's a very different way of looking at the world. And so we gotta let some things go. We gotta see this in others. I think how we see it in others is by allowing a diversity of people around us, allowing for wounded people to be in your life allowing for people who are further than you in life to show you a path. That again, the myth of American life is that you have to be independent or codependent. You're either gonna figure this thing out all on your own because you're somehow so spectacular, right? Or you desperately need someone else and the church propagates that a lot. There's usually a pastor up there telling you that the only way that you really understand God is through their perspective. Walk out of that building when you hear that. I don't care who that is. I don't care if that's your therapist, walk out of that building. They're there to walk with you. Their experience is not your experience. And that's incredibly important. Their truth is not fully your truth. You can live interdependently in these things, but not exclusively with these things. And so we need a diverse population and a diverse set of stories around us. If there's anyone that you don't like in the world, try to go start having dinner with those people. That's the way of this Jesus. If you can't handle... Republicans from Alabama, that's the one I always pick, it's just like the most extreme thing in my mind from California, right? I gotta find a way to be in dialogue with people. If you've been hurt by those people, you might need some different boundaries than I do, right? 
But you got to That's how we do this discipleship thing in life. That's how we follow better is when we have a diversity and plurality of voices in our life that get our, give us a broader perspective of what God could be doing. Because my story is not the ultimate story of the entire universe for 13.8 billion years. Now, if I can do that, then how do I see myself in a different way? I see myself in a different way because there's these great tools on planet Earth now, right? To help me see myself better. People who don't use any Jesus language, I don't care. I know it when I see it, where I feel like, oh, this is the fullness of life. This is eternal life right here. I experience that in my psychologist's office. I experience that with a group of Caltech professor, a Caltech professor that I hang out with at Jones Coffee all the time who like talks to me about like optical lasers and things that like I don't have words big enough to understand. Right? I experience that by having coffees and beers with so many of you every week. I experience that by like exploring the Enneagram. Any Enneagram fans out there? Right? I mean, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, like this is good news for your life, people, <laughs> to do with your Sunday afternoon. So the Enneagram, much like this, is very three-dimensional. And this is what I'm going to close with. The Enneagram is trying to say, like, at a baseline level, who are you? How do you approach life? And it gives numbers one through nine about kind of who you might represent as a human being. It also talks about kind of when you're in an unhealthy state, how do you act? And when you're at your very best, what's going on in you and where do you move towards? So it's a little bit more complex than like Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or some of those things. I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means I'm an achiever, which means I like to be the best, which means I love the spotlight and I like love a room of people to applause for me. Stop, please, no. No, not more, I don't want this, right? When I'm at my unhealthy self, I'm a massive narcissist. Some of you who know me are like, amen, you are. You're the worst. Um, because when I'm at my best, I'm empowering people. And so those are the flip side of the coin. When I'm at my best, this like student of Jesus, the student of life is pouring out of me and I want you to be your best. I wanna create structures and organizations and communities and churches and businesses and whatever to make sure that you are like thriving at the highest octane that you can possibly thrive on. Like I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I get to do this. When I'm at my worst and I'm a narcissist, I'm like, they don't appreciate me enough. I did not get a thank you card this week. What is going on here, right? This is, this is real. I'm saying to you real things that happen in my, I feel slighted. I feel wounded. I feel hurt because the very people that I'm trying to empower, the very people that I become hurt by. And so there's these amazing tools on planet earth right now for you to be the best student of you. Would you utilize them? And so I want to close with this question. How do you see yourself as, and today, do you see yourself as in need of healing? Do you see yourself right now as like a disciple follower? Like you're kind of like, this is like baseline average me, like things are going pretty good. Or do you see yourself as like a sent one right now? Enjoy. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.